Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Roto World Baseball Podcast. I'm DJ Short and I'm joined here by Drew Silva. We're back from a few weeks off. We took a little bit of a breather during the postseason, much deserved I'd say, uh, but still watch plenty of baseball and we have a lot to talk about here, uh, namely previewing the hot stove and hopefully we'll get a lot more interesting hot stove than we had last winter, wouldn't you say, Drew? Yeah, I kind of wouldn't count on it though. Yeah. <laughs> Just because, you know, it's it's a very top-heavy market like it was last year. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of Scott Boris clients. And, you know, yeah, he likes I out. saw that today. He he has like He's like running the whole market, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get into the specifics later, but uh, it's a crazy list of some of the most prominent free agents. So mm-hmm. I don't know if he has some master plan, but I'm sure he has a strategy involved. So um, we'll have to see. Uh, how that plays out, I was wondering if you saw uh, the report last week that MLB proposed something where they were going to restrict like multi-year deals to the end of the winter meetings, and like after that, you could only sign like one-year deals. Did you see that? Yeah, I didn't really. I only I didn't read past like the headline and a few yeah. people who were tweeting about it. That sounds um, totally implausible to me. That something that could actually work, or something that players would agree to. Yeah, is it to like make the winter meetings more interesting? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I would I would like it personally uh, as someone just who has to write about this stuff. Uh, oh, I-, I agree. And we have the Roto World Baseball magazine that comes out. <laughs> and yeah. we'd love to have the most up-to-date information when that goes to press. So, per, you know, selfishly, that'd be fantastic. Um, but f- just from a negotiation standpoint, standpoint, as far as the, the players, I think that would be very anti-player, anti-labor uh, to sort of restrict the amount of time that players could negotiate money and salaries for them. That sounds a little yeah. far-fetched, but who knows? It sounds like a, kind of another Rob Manfred idea that would be hard to execute. Um, but I interesting. Like he, I but like interesting. that he's always, th- yeah, I like that he's always thinking about stuff. I, I don't. I don't bash him for that. I think um, uh, the the thing that's I think maybe he wants to create is sort of the same thing that happens in football and the NBA where there's like this immediate frenzy and then it's over. <laughs> and yeah. this is just like a month or two of it just kind of calms down a little bit. Maybe there's some minor transactions in there, but so much of their offseason is concentrated into that first couple of days and it, it dominates all the headlines. It You know, it's happening in the middle of like, uh, baseball season and you know it's grabbing on the headlines nationally and um, I think that MLB would like to steal you know maybe the N- NFL and NBA's thunder with something like that so it's interesting to think about but um, I guess hard to enact that change but 
something for future seasons to think about. Um, we're not going to have that this off season. So um, before we get into everything hot stove, uh, Drew, do you have any general takeaways from the postseason or anything you've seen so far as uh, as far as the managerial hires or front office moves around MLB? Well, yeah, I mean, it's just it's amazing what the Nationals pulled off. Yeah. Um, if you think back, I mean, to, to earn, they earned a ninth inning comeback win over Josh Hader and the Brewers in the wild card game. Uh, beat the heavily favored Dodgers in the NLDS. Uh, dominated the Cardinals in a four game sweep in the NLCS. And then sorry about that. Take yeah, that's fine. I, it, it was one of those things that was easy to get over because it feels like it didn't even happen. Uh, <laughs> and then to take out the Astros, um, you know, Astros might have been one of the best teams ever to reach a World Series by and by certain metrics they were. Yeah. Um, you know, they played five different el- elimination games and won them all. This being the Nationals and. You know, that was despite having, like, what, two reliable relievers? Yeah, Um, they they didn't really even use a bullpen, essentially. (laughs) And the oldest team in baseball, they did it with starting pitchers and and, and veteran hitters and Juan Soto, um, who was very much not a veteran. Uh, And And this postseason was really Soto's coming out party. Like, we know how good he's been since he's come up to the majors, but uh, to get that national attention, pun intended, Certainly cool to see, and Steven Strasburg, I don't know if you would call this like a redemption tour for him, because it really, I mean, the Nationals were looking out for his best interests, which I guess is good. I guess they were kind of looking out for themselves with the shutdown too, but um, I guess you could say in the long haul, everything worked out for the best for everyone, and uh, now Strasburg will have another chance to cash in on on the open market, so uh, cool to see Strasburg dominate thing about the Astros, they had pretty much every advantage going into that series against the Nationals. Home field advantage. They ended up not winning not winning any of their home games in the, in the World Series against the Nationals. Uh, uh, Max Scherzer, uh, clearly not at 100%. And it just didn't really matter in the end. So I uh, thought it was really impressive. And the Nationals really won me over uh, this postseason. But, uh, you know, the Astros, it's, it does seem like they'll probably lose Garrett Cole. We'll get into that. Uh, here in a minute, uh, Cole could command a record deal, um, but they still have Zach Greinke there. Uh, they're going to get Lance McCullers back next year. They have some interesting young starters, so the Astros are going to keep coming, and they're still probably going to dominate next year as well. Yeah, they'll be fine. Um, yeah. And we'll, we'll, I feel like I've tied a lot of the, the free agents here to the Astros, even though they really don't have any holes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we'll get into that. I think with the managerial hires, what there there are eight openings, six of them have been filled. Yes, only the Pirates and Giants remain. That'll probably come sometime this week, maybe. Pirates might be a little while because of the whole front office restructuring yeah. they did, but Giants, it seems like uh, it could be somewhat imminent. Um, Gabe Kapler in the mix there after being let go by the Phillies. Uh, Phillies, of course, uh, switching to Joe Girardi, which is basically the polar opposite of Kapler as far as experience. So uh, the Phillies went from an inexperienced guy to a proven winner in Girardi. So it's been interesting to see how some of these clubs have uh, attacked the offseason as far as that's concerned. Obviously the Angels going with an experienced guy uh, in Joe Madden, but other team and Mike Matheny going to the Royals. I know you like that. Uh, (laughs) But other teams going with some more unexperienced guys and inexperienced guys, I mean, uh, Carlos Beltran, most recently with the Mets, David Ross with the Cubs, 
uh, Jace Tingler uh, with the Padres. So uh, some pretty different uh, strategies by these teams, which is interesting. Yeah, maybe I'm just getting old or something, but I hesitate to criticize managerial hires, you know, before seeing those hires in action for an extended period. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's easy for me to laugh at Mike Matheny with the Royals, but he did have a 591 and 474 record with the Cardinals. That's top 30 all time um, among all MLB managers. Also inherited a much better team in St. Louis than he will in Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah. David Ross and the Cubs seems silly, but I don't know the guy outside of kind of disliking his ESPN broadcasts. <laughs> um, and he helped the Cardinals arch rival win their first World Series since 1908. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I just have a thing against him. Joe Madden, Angels, seems like a fine fit. I'm surprised he didn't want the Padres job more, but he was kind of an Angels lifer before he went to Tampa Bay and then Chicago. Right. Um, yeah, and I don't know much about Jace Tingler, who got the job there in San Diego. Um, Carlos Beltran with the Mets seems weird, but I love them as a player. And yeah, I mean, how much does experience really matter? I'm sure he's going to have an experienced bench coach there. Uh, Beltran with the Mets. There's been talk about it possibly being Terry Collins. Uh, oh, that's, wow. uh, cause Beltran, he said his favorite manager was Terry Collins, which, uh, when I heard him say it at the time, I was a bit surprised by that, but, um, I guess it would make sense if, if Collins was the guy there, that's, uh, not a sure thing because uh, Collins obviously uh, a little older, may not want to be going through the whole grind all over again. So uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. But I'm sure Belcher and I'll have some experienced guys around him. And, you know, ultimately these managers will be successes if their teams win games. And a lot of that is how much or, or how well their teams are built. And I think that's a perfect segue into yeah, free agent. That's well said. Let's, yeah. let's close that out. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect segue into the, the free agent market here. Um, just before we get into uh, the whole free agent, uh, we're going to go off of Matthew Poliot's uh, top, was that top 111 free agents that he did? Yep. Okay. And we're covering all of them. <laughs> yeah. So strap in, folks. We're going to be here for a couple hours. No. Uh, so, uh, before we get into that list, um, just a note here, we recorded, we're recording this, uh, late Monday night. Uh, so we do know the players that got, uh, qualifying offers in this year. There were 10 of them. Uh, none of the names particularly surprising, uh, Garrett Cole, Josh Donaldson, uh, Marcelo Zuna, Madison Baumgartner, Anthony Rendon, Steven Strasburg, Zach Wheeler, Jose Abreu, uh, Will Smith, Jake Odorizzi. Uh, I think the the player that made me surprised some folks is Didi Gregorius didn't get a qualifying offer from the Yankees, but uh, then then again he wasn't great after coming back from Tommy John surgery, so maybe not shocking. Um, there's obviously some prominent free agents who didn't get qualifying offers, um, and that's either because they were traded mid-season or they've gotten a qualifying offer in the past. So um, Dallas Keuchel, Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, Mike Boustakis, Howie Kendrick, those guys have gotten uh, qualifying offers in the past, so no QA, uh, no QO for those guys. Um, Drew, if you could just explain a little bit how this uh, system works, uh, and just so you know, it's a one-year $17.8 million deal, and those were all extended Monday by their former teams or current teams. I guess they're currently free agents. Yeah, and actually down from down $100,000 from last year when it was yeah. $17.9 million. That number is based on the average of the league's current top 125 salaries. Um, and I think people know how it works by now, but if, if the offer is accepted, the player returns to his former team 
on what would be this year a, a one-year $17.8 million deal. If the offer is rejected and the player signs elsewhere, his, his former team gets a compensatory pick in the 2020 June draft. Um, where that pick falls depends on the value of the contract um, or whether the team is above the luxury tax limit or whether they get revenue sharing. Um, it's usually either immediately after the first round or before the third round or after the fourth. Um, the biggest free agents will typically fetch you one that's right after the, the first round um, because that player will be signing a contract usually that's over $50 million. Okay, so we're going to jump right into these free agents now. And again, this is off off Matthew Poliot's uh, top 111 free agents. You can go to rotoworld.com uh, under under the uh, baseball section to take a look at this list. Um, just good food for thought as we get into uh, the hot stove. So we're going to go by his list here. Number one, obviously Garrett Cole. I think he's number one on probably everybody's uh, top free agent list. And um, just an amazing season. Uh, leading the um, majors in strikeouts has just been awesome the past two years after coming over from the Pirates. You know, I think there's a lot of speculation about the Angels as a good fit for him. I think that's probably makes the most sense. Um, you know, we're talking about the kind of deal that uh, Garrett Cole could get here. I mean, he could probably set the the AAV record for a starting pitcher, um, which, you know, if he could get, I don't know, 35 million, something like that, um, you know, we're talking about a $250 million deal, maybe he gets seven, eight years, something like that. Um, I think that sounds very possible. Yeah. Zach Grinke is like owed 34 and a half million the next few years, but 12.5 of it is deferred. So I don't, I don't know how you want to calculate it, but yeah, I, 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 either way, I think Cole is going to push towards 34 million, 35 million a year for like seven years. That would be a seven year, $238 million deal if it's 34 million. Um, he and Scott Boris might ask for 10 years out of the gate. Um, I don't think they get it unless they're cool with bringing down the average annual value um, a la Bryce Harper. Um, but he, he certainly deserves it, man. 29 years old. Um, 2.50 ERA, 326 strikeouts, and 212 innings during the regular season, even better in the playoffs. Um, and he he throws harder than a lot of the guys who have gotten those 200 million plus starting pitcher contracts. So I think even if he loses some velocity over the long haul, I think he'll he'll retain that elite level of effectiveness for you know three, four, five more years if he can stay healthy. And the Angels would be a pretty good landing spot for a pitcher. I know it's not as pitcher-friendly as it used to be, and obviously the, the baseball is a major factor in uh, power numbers at this point, but who knows what that'll be next year and the year after that. But uh, it's certainly a, a nice landing spot for a pitcher. So you know, from a fantasy perspective, I think we should continue to see excellence from him probably wherever he winds up. Um, in some early mocks that I've been taking a look at, Cole's been the first starting pitcher off the board, so... Um, there's that. Um, so moving on to, oh, we should actually, do you have a guess for where Cole winds up? I had angels listed first. I think, yeah. man, that's going to be a very top heavy payroll for them. Um, yeah. but that's what they need is, is a flashy, you know, elite starting pitcher. They need more than, than one even. Yeah. Um, I was thinking giants are a possibility. 
they're not scared to, to give out money. I know they have some rebuilding to do, but you could rebuild alongside a guy like Cole. I wouldn't rule out the Dodgers or Yankees just because you never know what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, the Brewers could certainly use him, but I doubt they're going to be operating in that stratosphere. I'll, I'll say Angels. I think it's – I don't want to call it a dumb move, but um, it seems like it could hamstring them a bit if, if he doesn't work out. I think he will work out. Um, will he work out to the tune of $240 million? I don't know. Um, I think the Angels owe it to Mike Trout to put their best yeah. possible roster together while he's still – you know, having his ridiculous seasons, which seems like it'll never end as far as his peak. But, um, you know, we'll see. <laughs> but they should maximize, you know, while they have Mike Trout on their roster right now. So uh, number two uh, on a Poliot's list, Steven Strasburg, uh, which might surprise some people because Anthony Rendon, it's, you know, you could probably flip flop those guys. But um, now we know Steven Strasburg has opted out of the final four years and 100 million remaining on his contract, which a super easy call, I think. Um, quietly led the National League in innings pitched, had an awesome postseason, struck out 250-plus uh, batters. So, you know, I think he can probably tack on at least another year on this deal. Um, you know, even if he wants to stay with the Nationals, I think it's just a smart business move for him. Uh, but obviously there's already a lot of speculation about uh, the San Diego Padres being in the mix for obvious reasons. Um but it does seem like Strasburg's pretty comfortable uh, with the Nationals. But with Scott Boris, you just never know. Yeah, 5-0 and with a 1.98 ERA in October. 47 strikeouts to just four walks and 36 innings. Um, he just he set the table for himself to, to – I, don't, I, don't, I think he's going to do better than even tacking on one, one more year um, at $20 million. Or one more year at 30 to $35 million even. Yeah, um, I think I think he's he's going to push for something like six years, 175 million. That might be the ceiling, um, but maybe he lands somewhere around like five years, 150 million. Uh, but I think he's going to do really well for him and himself. Um, the he Nationals, should. yeah, the Nationals are obviously the the most log- logical fit. I don't think they'll lose both Strasburg and Anthony Rendon this winter. Um, but like you said, the Padres make a lot of sense. Um, they're wanting to open that window of competitive next competitiveness next year. Um, kind of flirted it, flirted with that in the first half this year. Strasburg's a, a San Diego native, pitched at San Diego State. Could see him being a good mentor for Chris Paddock and, and the other young Padres pitchers, though I know that's kind of a played-out narrative in, in sports. The interesting thing about the Padres is, like, they're going to be really top-heavy uh, contract wise if they end up signing Strasburg to a huge deal too we've seen Eric Cosmer come there and then last year Manny Machado so uh and Will Myers I think is still owed a pretty good chunk of change as well um so that's a lot invested in those four guys and as some of some of their young players um you know get in arbitration that could be it could be a tough situation and you're probably also looking at Hosmer maybe being sort of some dead weight toward the end of that contract I think Machado will get better, but I think that's a lot to invest in, you know, just three or four guys. I think um, he winds up staying with the Nationals, um, and I think they might not re-sign Rendon because, I mean, there were, there were to get into Rendon now, who, who we have third here in our rankings, he re- reportedly turned down seven years and between 210 to $215 million from the Nationals sometime in early September. Um, you know, maybe some of that money was deferred or just maybe at that point with free agency only two months away, 
Uh, he and his agent, again, Scott Boris, simply decided that it would be wiser to test the open market and open the bidding to all 30 clubs, not just the Nats. So I, I think I think they're aiming higher than Strasburg might. Yeah, as far as Rendon, uh, I think the best deal to compare this to potentially as far as, far as a framework, uh, Nolan Arenado's deal with the Rockies uh, was seven years and $234 million, uh, as far as new money, as far as, as far as his extension. So I think that's sort of the baseline for what to expect for Rendon, and I don't think it's crazy. I think we've been talking about Rendon forever as being like this underrated guy that not a lot of people notice, but... Uh, I think the post, the great regular season, but also the the great postseason. There was a stat I, I can't remember the exact details of it, but it was sort of like close and late statistics during the postseason. And he was like he was like seven for seven or something with like <laughs> with like uh, multiple homers and doubles and triple and like just crazy stuff. Um, so coming through in the clutch in the postseason can only help him up. Obviously, we know he's a great player uh, during the regular season as well. So. Uh, I think it's tricky to say the the right fit for him. Obviously, returning to the Nationals, I'm sure they're going to try. Um, but other than that, I think it gets I think it gets tricky. Um, you know, we've heard Angels too, maybe uh, Rangers possibly. They probably have some money to spend at this stage. Um, the Phillies could probably use him too. Uh, I think they have a an opening there at third base. Um, so. I think he's a bit more of a wild card. I think he could end with end up with a team we don't expect. Uh, let's say if the Nationals do re-sign Strasburg and they just say they can't afford Rendon at that point. But um, I think he's a, one who, sort of like Manny Machado last offseason, there's a team that could kind of come out from nowhere and, and pick him up. I'm saying White Sox as a p- potential dark That's horse. a good one. That's a good yeah. one. I mean, they did uh, move Moncada there last season at third base, but they could just move them yeah. right back to second. They do have Madrigal too, so um, that can create a bit of a log jam because Tim Anderson had a, a great year this year. So, But I guess they'll worry about that later if they do end up signing. The, the uh, Braves like, too, man, if, if they don't, if they shoot a little higher than Donaldson, mm-hmm. um, they've got their two young stars, Ronald Acuna and Ozzie Albies, locked up for relatively cheap for Oof, a man, long those, time. Those extensions are crazy, uh, man. They could Oof. they could spend some stupid money at some point. Uh, I like that the Phillies have brought stupid money into the hot stove lexicon. <laughs> we need more of that. We need more yeah. of that. <laughs> so uh, on Poliot's list, Madison Bumgarner, he has uh, fourth. I've seen a, a wide variety of opinions where Bumgarner falls. Uh, I did mention earlier that uh, Bumgarner got a qualifying offer. So um, I think that's going to be kind of interesting to watch with him. Um, because certainly he's not someone who's going to match some of his, you know, amazing performances we've seen in the past. Um, but still, you know, missed a fair amount of bats this past season, uh, pitched a ton of innings. I know there's been concern about injuries and stuff like that, but, uh, I still think he can be a pretty good pitcher. Um, you know, where he ends up, I think that's a, a huge mystery. And then, you know, you have to think about Bumgarner been pitching in San Francisco his whole career. Um, you know, if he does go to a more hitter-friendly venue, what kind of pitcher is he going to be? Yeah, that's a factor, definitely. Um, I think everyone, you know, would agree that he's past his prime, but this year was kind of encouraging from a health perspective, at least. Um, and his recent injuries have sort of been freak things. Mm-hmm. Still, a, still a workhorse, and he's younger than it, it might seem, given all the success he had in like his early to mid twenties. 
Um, definitely more of a, a third starter now than an ace, especially with a, a change away from the, the most pitcher-friendly ballpark in the majors there in San Francisco. But there's value in, in getting a third starter who's going to be reliable and eat a lot of innings at hopefully an ERA below four. Um, I think I think he's going to reject the qualifying offer. If, if that's what you were suggesting, he might take it. Yeah, probably not. This is probably yeah. his last chance to get a that's what I'm thinking a big multi-year contract. So I think he'll reject it and find think, something, find a good fit somewhere with a contender. Yeah, I think he makes a lot of sense for a contender looking for like one more reliable rotation piece. Um, the Phillies could sure use him. The Nationals, if they use if they lose Strasburg, the Braves. That you know, what would be really intriguing is the Astros. Yep. File that one away. <laughs> uh, the twins too. I think they could yeah. use another another good sure. arm and uh, to complement that awesome offense and um, the Brewers. The Brewers, yeah, that's a, that's a really good call. Um, they have a pretty young rotation, so to add him to the mix, I think would be really beneficial for them. Um, and he would probably mash in Milwaukee too. So. Yeah, that's that's a factor. That would be fun. Uh, so we're going to skip number five on Polyant's list because he had you Darvish, but Darvish is sticking around with the Cubs. Um, number six, he had Zach Wheeler. I would have put Zach Wheeler ahead of Bumgarner personally, um, just because he's, he's younger. Um, and I know there was a, a long time when Wheeler didn't even pitch. He missed multiple seasons, but, um, the last two years have been really good. Um, and actually pitched really well during the second half, had kind of a shaky first half, but, uh, second half, he really turned things around. Uh, ended up with an ERA under four. You know, still misses plenty of bats. The control is better than it used to be. You can pitch deep into games, rack up some innings. I think you're going to see. Uh, I think you're going to see him do pretty well. And and given that he's still fairly young, um, he's still 29 right now. Uh, I could see him getting four or five years, um, and that will, might push him over the hundred million dollar mark, which I think. Probably unlikely to return to the Mets. You know, the Mets traded for Marcus Stroman, I think, with the idea of him replacing Wheeler. Uh, so unlikely to return to the Mets, but, you know, looking out there for, as possible fits for Wheeler. The Braves make a lot of sense. Wheeler is from Georgia. Uh, I could see that happening. Um, you know, the Phillies maybe, the Yankees even. The Yankees expressed interest in Wheeler uh, during the season um, when they were looking for a starting pitcher and the Mets were potentially selling. Um, so I think they're another team to watch for him. Yeah, I think his market, Wheeler's market, is going to be a lot larger and healthier than some people might expect. Yeah, uh, the Brewers tried to trade for Wheeler in the past in that the Wilmer Flores, Carlos Gomez deal. So yeah. I think that was a different regime, but uh, I wouldn't rule out the Brewers were really any starting pitcher. Maybe maybe not the Garrett Coles or Strasburgs, but uh, this second tier of starters, I could see them in the mix for Bumgarner or Wheeler maybe some of the other guys we're going to talk about later. Yeah, I think I mean, the, just the year-over-year year improvements in command, the the velocity is up on all three of his main pitches, fastball, slider, curveball. It's easy to like talk yourself into him not having pitched at his best yet. Yeah, and I think you know it's easy to be a little bit overshadowed when you're with you know DeGrom and Syndergaard, but uh, Wheeler has definitely front-of-the-rotation upside, so maybe he could realize that. Uh, with another team. So uh, seven on Poliat's list was J.D. Martinez. Uh, late news that Martinez will not opt, opt out of his contract uh, with the Red Sox, so he's going to stay put. So he could have uh, 
decided against taking uh, the final sixty or final three years and sixty million. Uh, but he decided to stay put. Interesting decision there for Martinez. But uh, I think when you uh, have to put that into context, you know, you think Martinez is thirty-two years old. Basically, I think would be restricted to American League teams. Um, so that makes the market already, you know, split in half. So uh, I think probably the smart play for him. But the other side of that is, I think the Red Sox might be disappointed that he's sticking around. Yeah, I mean. Just to speak on Martinez, he would have been tied to a qualifying offer, too. I don't think he would have topped three years, 62. Was it three years, 62 and a half, I think? Something like that, that he left on the table. But, yeah, I mean, this speaks to the larger issue with the Red Sox that they might trade Mookie Betts this offseason, which is Mm. just hard hard to fathom. Yeah. Um, He's probably the best position player they've developed in, like, 60 years. Um, and just just to let him go, I, I know that working out an extension with him would be difficult. But you can't tell me the Red Sox are hurting for cash. Yeah, you know, even with some some bad money tied up in Chris Sale and David Price, um, I I'm just not buying it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not either. I mean, they're the Red Sox. <laughs> they should be able to open their wallets for you know a franchise player uh, like Mookie Betts. It's it's just strange, but. Uh... Hey, we'll see what happens, and we'll get into some of the trade stuff uh, in a in a few minutes. Uh, so, number eight on our list, Nicholas Castellanos, a guy who I think really shot up this list uh, based off the way he finished the season. Uh, began the year with the Tigers and was traded to the Cubs. Um, not really a strong defender, but uh, so maybe that limits things a little bit. Not ideal for the National League, but um, he's still really young, uh, and we know he can hit. Um, so I think he's going to be a pretty good fit somewhere there, somewhere. Maybe it, maybe he returns to the Cubs. We'll see. But um, I think he's a pretty good hitter and, and someone who should do pretty well. I think the age is a big part of that. Yeah, he's got that strong walk year going for him, especially after the trade to Chicago. Also 27 years old, 28 next March, and no qualifying offer because he was traded midseason. Yeah, uh, but, but like you said, the big thing working against him in free agency is that he's not very good defensively, uh, was never a great third baseman, and has actually been even worse since they moved him to the corner outfield since the Tigers did. Um, so the, I guess the worry for him was that he's going to be viewed as like a first baseman or even DH type now, and then possibly like over the long haul. And so it yeah. could be tough for him to land something really lengthy. Um, I think he could get a shorter term deal that's very lucrative. Um, even though he's younger than most of the players we're talking about on this show, may, that might suit him better. Um, maybe for, for some team that feels good about the defense it has from its other two outfielders, they'll, they'll take the trade off of poor defense to add a middle of the order bat. Um, or if they have an opening at first base, um, his career OBP is not good. 326, um, but he slugged 525 this year. What 58 doubles, 27 home runs. Um, so he should be a, re- a reliable, like middle order presence. I think for you know four years at least, maybe even longer than that. Smartly run teams look beyond the, the power though, and, and they're all pretty smart teams are the, at this point. So uh, number nine, Josh Donaldson uh, had a really great rebound season after barely playing, uh, in 2018. Uh, but I think, you know, the big factor here is the age. I think based off of at least the production this year, he should be higher, but you do have to take that age and injury history, 
uh, into account. Uh, ended up taking a one-year deal with the Braves last year. I mean, it was, he made $23 million, so it was a really good deal for him. Uh, but he turned around and, and sort of on a prove-it contract and, and did really great. So, uh, you know, it's, I think the Braves are going to try to make it a priority to, to bring him back. Um, you know, whether it happens, we'll see. But, you know, I could see him getting maybe three years max, Probably not, probably not 23 uh, million AAV, but like, you know, three years, 60, maybe. I think that's probably as high as it would go, but I uh, wonder what you think on that. Yeah, he's made, what, $23 million exactly over the last two seasons. It would make sense to just kind of string that over a two-year deal with an option uh, for 2022. Um, yeah, awesome numbers this year, 900 OPS, 37 home runs, 94 RBIs, and 155 regular season games. Um, did not have a great showing in the playoffs, but you know that was a small sample size because they got bounced from the NLDS. Um, age working against him. I think in in a different era, uh, he would have been treated a lot better in free agency after a year like that. And the the years he put up, you know, four years before that, before t- 2018 was kind of a lost one. Um, but yeah, I think a return to the Braves probably makes the most sense here. Uh, the Nationals, if they lose Rendon, um, Brewers, they have a hole at third base. Would be fun to see him mash for 81 games a year at, at Miller Park. Um, I think the Rangers maybe sneakily if they want to make like a relatively inexpensive but still flashy move uh, for their new ballpark in 2020 yeah the rangers are a confusing team to me i kind of don't know where they stand there's a you know they're a team that could easily just say you know what we're gonna rebuild but uh with a new stadium coming as you said i think it makes sense for them to make you know a high profile addition uh whoever that might be maybe it is donaldson so uh, number 10, someone you're very familiar with, Marcelo Zuna. Um, you know, I think when you're kind of evaluating him at this point, you know, the shoulder injury really wrecked his first season uh, with the Cardinals. Was sort of, is was he streaky? Is that fair to say this year? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I, th- I think the shoulder issue was still there this year too. Um he, his throws, you saw it most on his throws from the outfield, and they did get a little bit better, like, progressively, but he was never – I mean, there are highlight reels from him in Miami. He won a gold glove in Miami, and to, to see the player that the Cardinals had and the player that he was with the Marlins, it, it just seemed very different. Um, also became more of a pole hitter. I think that had to do with the shoulder, too. Yeah. Um, just the way, way he swings as a right-handed hitter. Um, he was more of a spray hitter in Miami when he went off for what is a 312 batting average, 924 OPS, 37 home runs, 124 RBIs. That was in 2017. Um, I, but I think, I mean, he's always like the last four years he's been at the top or very, very near the top of exit velocity leaderboards. Um, so if some team talks themselves into the, an idea that they can, make some changes to his approach and swing and get him healthier. Um, maybe he, he gets back to the player that he was in 2017, or, or maybe you know that was an outlier. And as Matthew notes in his column, Ozuna has never played in, in a ballpark that's friendly to right-handed power. Hmm. He's actually played in like the two worst ballparks for right-handed power. Um, yeah, I'd love to see him on like the Reds or something. That'd be pretty that, sweet. That was my that was my note. Possible fit the Reds, <laughs> and I, I also think the Marlins can make sense. I know they're not a hitter friendly ballpark, but uh, they yeah. really need a strong middle of the order presence. And 
I don't know, maybe it was a different different regime there. So maybe there, maybe the bitterness wouldn't be there. And, you know, he enjoyed his best success there with the Marlins. Um, I think that could be interesting. I don't know if it's even on his radar, but I think that would be pretty cool. I think the Marlins need to make some sort of splash this offseason with a big bat. The Reds have talked about having another aggressive offseason. That would not shock me if that winds up being a fit. Um, the Brewers, I think, maybe they put Ryan Braun at first base. Um, I was thinking that too. They declined their option on Eric Thames. We didn't really cover that, did we? Um, and then they traded Jesus Aguilar to the Rays over the summer. Yeah. Uh, Braun, Braun played 18 games at first base in 2018. So I think that's something they might be thinking about. Yeah, and they still have Travis Shaw, too, who, um, you know, really disappeared this year. But uh, he could play first base. He could play third base. So they have some options. But certainly Braun, I think, at least moving him part-time to first base, maybe sharing duties there, I think makes some sense at this point in his career. So we'll see. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu, uh, number 11, um, you know, he was stuck with the qualifying offer last winter, ended up uh, accepting it. Uh, which, you know, was a good move and, and paid off nicely for the Dodgers. As You know, I don't think uh, the quality uh, in regard to Ryu has really been questioned. It's mostly just about his ability to stay healthy and certainly not something uh, you could have counted on. But uh, amazing year this year. I still think he's just a huge wild card moving forward, though. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm sure he's going to get a multi-year deal somewhere, especially now that there's no qualifying offer attached. But... Uh, you know, how much would teams really be willing to give to, you know, a 33-year-old pitcher with this sort of injury history? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the story on him. Led all qualified Major League starters in ERA at 2.32, but he was a little shakier after July. Had mm. an especially kind of bad August. Yeah, um, I think he like, probably just hit a wall because <laughs> he never throws that many innings. Right, I don't. he hasn't qualified for the ERA title. Um, he's also going to be yeah, 33 years old next March. And it sounds like he wants to stay on the West coast. Sometimes with Japanese players, people just put that on them and, and don't really know, but I, I've, I've, we've heard things about that. Um, yeah, I think he ultimately stays with the Dodgers on like a three year deal worth around, I don't know, 45 to 50 million guaranteed with some incentives built in. Um, maybe the Angels, if the Dodgers just decide they're they're kind of frustrated by them, that but they don't seem frustrated by guys that that get injured. I mean, they just they kind of plug and play and rattle off 105 win regular seasons. <laughs> so 12 on Poliat's list was our oldest Chapman, but of course he's staying uh, with the Yankees. Got another year on his deal. Is that right? Yeah, 18, 18 million tacked on to he had yeah. two years, 30 million remaining. So uh, number 13 on Poliet's list, Yasmani Grandal. Uh, I'm a little surprised to see him 13th. I would have had him higher, personally. Me, me, too, me, me too. I know there's some sort of, or at least dif- difference of opinion about his value defensively. Like yeah. some pitchers maybe don't love working with him, but as far as framing, he's great. And, you know, brings that power from the catcher position. Um, and he's been, you know, a pretty consistent offensive option and, you know, advanced metrics seem to love him for his contributions behind the plate, and he's at the very tippy top of the market as far as catchers. So I'd put him higher personally. I think he can do, he could probably get three or four years. Um, whether that puts him in the 75 million range, something like that, I think he's going to do really well. 
Yeah, I don't know what to think about pitch framing, honestly, because it seems like it's kind of an illegal thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, but, I mean, that, that's fine. I used to catch in high school, and it was part of the job. I get it. Um, but, yeah, he's posted five straight seasons of four or five-plus wins above replacement. According to Fangraphs, which uses pitch framing in their in their war equation, um, it was 5.2 war this year from Grandall. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's an incredibly valuable catcher. Yeah. Um, whoever signs him is going to hope that there, there won't be a robot strike zone. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> anytime in the near, near future. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. <laughs> but yeah, 28 home runs, 848 OPS in 153 games this year. Career OPS is right under 800, which is pretty damn good for a catcher. Um, I don't know how well he's going to age, um, but I think, I think he gets three to four years um, at around, you know, getting close to 20 million a year. Um, I, 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 if, if people buy into the, to the, to the framing data, um, the Astros, I think they were playing Robinson Torinos and Martin Maldonado behind the plate in the world series who are both free agents. Now, um, Torinos had a really good year. Um, and Maldonado's excellent defensively, but Grandal would be a heck of an upgrade, um, to the only position that really needs an upgrade in Houston, I think. If you so, just look at their roster right now. As far as the remaining free agents, let's go to like 20. And then after that, we're kind of, we'll list a couple yeah. more, but, cool. um, and then we'll get into trade stuff. So, um, with Grandal though, uh, is interesting today or today's Monday we're recording, but, uh, there was the press conference for Carlos Beltran, uh, and the Mets GM Brody Van Wagenen said, one of the goals this off season is to improve their defense. There's only really two ways for them to do that with their current roster. One is center field. Um, but I think that's going to be tough to do um, unless they make a trade for someone like Starling Marte or something like that. Um, maybe Jackie Bradley Jr. But the only other way is behind the plate. Uh, I think Grandal makes a lot of sense for the Mets, but uh, doing that would obviously require trading Wilson Ramos. I'm not sure what kind of market he's going to have, but I think the Mets could be an interesting team for for Grandal. Um, number fourteen, Jake Odorizzi um, had really his best season. I think fair to say. Um, yep, I'm on board with that. Yeah, and I think he was better in the beginning of the year than as the season moved along, but um, still had a really good, really good year for a good Twins team. Um, you know, gives up a lot of fly balls. That certainly can be an issue. Uh, not someone who's going to give you like, uh, you know, he's not going to throw eight innings or anything like that, but someone who I think could be a solid mid rotation starter. What's that worth in, in this market? Hard to say, but, um, and also has the qualifying offer attached. So I think he's going to have an interesting decision to make about whether to, to take that qualifying offer, honestly. But, um, I think that could seriously impact his market potentially. Yeah. I mean, definitely had some luck with a a low home run per fly fly ball rate, as you mentioned, but 178 strikeouts and 159 innings carried an ERA in in the twos for a long time. It it, it finished at 3.51. Yeah. I think a a career year for him. So I think he might reject the qualifying offer and, and try to score like a four, a three or four year deal on the open market. I, there could be, a big market for him there, like the middle tier of, of starting pitchers. If he's willing to accept something in like the, the $60 million range over four years, um, maybe back in Minnesota, which was obviously a good fit. And then the usual suspects, Brewers, Phillies, 
Rangers, depending on what they want to do. I think the Cardinals maybe are, are a dark horse here. Bush Stadium would hit his would, would fit his profile well. Yeah, uh, fifteen Jose Abreu, um, you know, thirty three years old at this point. Um, not the player he was first coming into the league, and maybe that's surprising to hear because you know if you look at RBIs, you know, he led the AL in RBIs to one hundred and twenty three, um, but not not the patient kind of hitter he was when he first came into the league sort of more just like a power guy um i don't know if you want to make a huge investment in in someone like abreu um especially as he gets closer to his mid-30s i don't really know what the market for him is going to be but the other factor here is there's really not a lot of first base types uh, or at least high profile names in free agency whether that really matters i'm not sure i think power is so plentiful uh right now but you know, maybe it ends up being he just stays with the White Sox, but he's another guy where I think maybe the Marlins could make a splash for him and not really have to pay a ton to get him. Yeah, I mean, the White Sox have talked openly all year, like going back to spring and then like again in May. And whenever they were asked, like Rick Hahn was asked a question about it, he would say, yeah, we, we really want to keep Abreu. Um, you don't necessarily always hear GMs talk that way. Um, and Abreu has talked openly about wanting to stay there. Um, so I think it's a bit of a surprise that they never really worked out an extension. Um, my guess would be that Abreu's asking price is a little high right now, and he might have somewhat of a rude awakening once he actually hits free agency. Um, like you said, he, he led American League hitters in RBI this year, uh, but the batting average and OPS are not what they were in his first four seasons as a big, big leaguer, and he turns 33 in January. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Maybe he'll just accept the qualifying offer. Um, or, or or reject it and then be back with the White Sox on a different looking one year deal with like maybe an option for 2021. But then again, I mean, your point is fair that there aren't really a ton of high profile like first base DH type bats, even though they're not valued the way they were. Um, especially with JD Martinez not going to be on the market. Um, you know, maybe he could do better than than we're thinking he could do. So 16 Dallas Keuchel, not going to have to deal with a qualifying offer uh, this time around. Of course, signed with the Braves around midseason uh, and did okay. You know, 3.75 ERA in 19 starts. I'm not going to miss many bats, not a lot of strikeouts, but, uh, you know, ground balls, still getting plenty of those and uh, can definitely be a useful starter. Not, you know, Cy Young caliber performance uh, should be expected from this point forward, but uh, I still think he can be a pretty solid uh, mid-rotation type moving forward like he was for the, the Braves this year. Kind of same in that same area as, as a Jake Cota Rizzi, I think. Um, so, I don't know, probably two or three-year deal for, for Keuchel somewhere with a, a pretty good team. Yeah, low strikeout pitcher, ground ball dude in this modern era. Um, I'm thinking I'm thinking he could get a three-year deal, but it's going to be – it's not going to be a very high average annual value. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, probably going to be with a lot of those teams we talked about earlier. <laughs> yep, yep. Something like two years, thirty-two million. Three years, forty million. Something in that in that area. So uh, I believe this is our first reliever so far. If you if you take uh, Chapman out of the mix, right? Uh, yep. Will Will Smith uh, had a great year with the Giants. Um, 
there's really not a lot of great options out there in free agency for relievers. It's it's not yeah. like it's not like the past couple of off seasons. That's for yeah, sure. You got Dellen Batansis, but he's coming off an Achilles tear and lat and shoulder issues that yeah, limit him to one appearance. Will Harris is pretty solid but old. Drew Pomeranz made himself some money. Yeah, uh, for sure. Maybe some team will try to turn turn him back into a starter. Chris Martin, Joe Smith, Daniel Hudson. It's it's not a big winter for acquiring relievers at least from the free agent market but smith um, should take advantage of it you know yep, um i'm sure he'll probably get you know three years uh it's probably we're going to set the benchmark for him at the top of the market um you know probably going to get something like you know 13 14 million a year uh sounds pretty reasonable and someone who can make a real difference uh whether it's closing games or setting up i think he'll probably end up as a closer somewhere um but hard to say right now. We'll see how things uh, shake out. Um, you know, I think the Twins are a team that that really need a, a dominant back end guy. Um, I feel like you you could list every would be contender in baseball. They, yeah, I, th- I think Smith might have the most suitors of any free agent this winter, um, which sounds weird given that he's like not in anyone's top ten or even top fifteen free agent rankings, and he's also tied to draft pick compensation with with the qualifying offer, but. You know, every team that thinks it, it can be a contender has space for a proven late inning relief arm. Um, and he and he's proven 2.66 ERA, 167 strikeouts in, in 118 innings over the last two seasons. Um, Astros, they didn't have a left-hander on their World Series roster. Red Sox, Dodgers, Braves, Nationals. You mentioned the Twins, the Angels, the Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, Phillies. I can go on. <laughs> Uh, so he's going to do all right. Yeah, uh, he'll, be, he'll be fine. <laughs> so uh, number 18, Yasiel Puig. Um, I think we were all super psyched about him going to the Reds. <clears throat> Didn't really work out for him there at the end of the year. Uh, on the Indians, um, you know, just still has that kind of upside that, that you take a shot on. I think the list of teams that will ultimately be interested in him will probably be small just because of the baggage that he carries with him, unfortunately, um, but still a very productive outfielder and still, I think, younger than a lot of people think. Um, I think he's just 29 years old. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I actually have no idea what kind of contract Puig's going to get just because I'm I'm not sure how many teams are really going to be interested. But um, given the age and, and his potential um, and what he's shown to this point, to be honest, um, you know, I still think he's going to do all right. But it's just so hard to say. Do you think there's still like untapped potential there? I don't know. I think he's probably maxed out already, but um, I I wouldn't be shocked. Like he's the kind of guy that some year could hit like 35 bombs and have like a 900 OPS or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he hasn't posted a slugging percentage higher than 500 since he was a rookie in 2013. Yep. Um, I just, he's not nearly as exciting as he was, you know, in his early days with the Dodgers. That's an obvious statement. Um, but yeah, I guess you could see a team taking a gamble on like a three-year deal in like the $35, $40 million range, or I could also see him settling for a one-year contract. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it could, I think it could easily be like a one-year deal and he's like waiting until March to sign. Like I, I could really see that playing out that way. So, uh, definitely an interesting, uh, market to watch is, is Puig. So, uh, next up on our list, number 19, Cole Hamels, um, Sort of fell apart in the second half. Um, 
a uh, couple of physical issues uh, for for Hamels, but he was he was great to begin the year. Uh, I think the big question is age at this point. He's 36 years old. Uh, I still think he's going to do fine, but at this point, given the age, probably we're only talking about maybe a two-year deal at best. Yeah, the shoulder fatigue down the stretch I think is worrisome. He's had a lot of oblique issues in recent years too. I wonder if that's tied to the shoulder. Um, Turns 36 in December. I think he'll get a two-year deal. I think the average annual value won't won't be very high, like $15 million range. Two years, $30 million total, something like that. Maybe some incentives built in. Um, But all the teams we've mentioned, Angels, Phillies, Brewers, maybe a return to the Cubs, Astros possibly. Um, That changeup when he's healthy is still like a really good out pitch for him. Um, But he he lost a lot of fastball velocity as the season went along this year, and I'd be worried about the shoulder a bit. So 20, just to kind of close out some of the detailed guys we're going to go over, Didi Gregorius, of course, made his return from Tommy John surgery uh, this past season. Um, and just really wasn't himself. Uh, but I do think we have to give him a mulligan for that. Um, so I think he's going to have a pretty nice market, you know, especially considering no qualifying offer we found out uh, on Monday. I'm sure the Yankees would like to, to bring him back. Um, so I'll have Glaber Torres there at second base and, and keep that all in place moving forward. Uh, so I think the Yankees have to be considered the favorite. Um, just because it's where he's broken out and thrived and the Yankees have money. Um, so I, I think odds are the Yankees are a pretty good fit there. But, man, I, I wouldn't rule out a couple of other teams being in the mix and, and really seeing him as a buy low. Yeah, there aren't many contending teams that need help at the shortstop position. Um, and if you're a non-contender, is it worth the risk? Maybe you think, all right, we can acquire him and he's going to bounce back further away from Tommy John that we flip him for prospects. I could see that. Um, but, but I don't, I don't really think he's going to push for like a three-year deal or anything. I think it'll be more like one year prove it type contract, maybe with an option tacked on. Yeah. I mean, the Reds fit the the profile of a team that might be willing to give him some money, especially if they're, they seem to always surprise us about trying hard to win when it doesn't seem likely. Um, <laughs> I mean, if but, you traded for Trevor Bauer, you have to do something this offseason, right? That's true, and, and I think that I think the Reds could could be a fit there. Um, Oz- Ozuna and Gregorius, that's yeah, gonna be we awesome. built it. We yep. built it. I don't know if they're a contender, but they'd be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they'd be interesting at the very least. So, uh, just a couple more. Uh, we'll run through real fast, real fast on on Poliot's, uh list. Julio Tehran uh, became a free agent after the Braves declined his option. On Monday, 22, Kyle Gibson, another guy that fits into that mid-rotation mold, uh, so does uh, Turan. Uh, 23, Mike Moustakis, you know, probably lower than I would have expected on this list, but, um, you know, he should do all right for himself. Had a, had a nice power year as well. He, he's finally going to get a, a multi-year deal, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I'd hope so. I'd hope so. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion at 24, uh, another guy who's basically, I mean, he can play some first base, but he's basically DH only at this point. Cole Calhoun, 25, uh, and the Angels declined the option on him, right? Pretty yep. sure. That, yeah. $14 million, um, coming off 33 home runs in 2019, and, and a pretty good defensive outfielder. At least, like, a good arm, and he makes highlight catches. His range isn't especially great, but... But the Angels have Joe Adele on the way, so yep. mm-hmm. I guess they figure they can and let, they, let Calhoun go. <laughs> They need that money for Garrett Cole. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Uh, 26, Tanner Roark. Another guy who can be solid, like mid to back end rotation guy. Michael Pineda, of course, had the PED suspension that ended his season. But prior to that, he, he looked really good um, coming back from Tommy John surgery. Rick Porcello certainly falling off uh, in the past couple of years. But, uh, you know, some rebound potential uh, there. Rich Hill, um, you know, if healthy, really good. But... Um, you know, always a gamble. I don't think you're going to get a full season out of him. Uh, number 30 is an interesting one. Uh, coming over uh, from Japan, uh, Shogo Akiyama. Um, and free agent from Japan, so I'm not going to go through the posting process. Um, you know, there's not a lot of great center fielders on the market. So uh, he's a name to get uh, familiar with uh, if you want to look him up. So th- that's the top 30. There's... There's 111 names on this list, so go to rotoworld.com to check that out. Um, we're just going to jump over to the trade market real quick and, and kind of go over some guys to, to keep an eye out for. We mentioned Mookie Betts already. He's the obvious name to watch this offseason as far as trades. Uh, Betts is under team control for one more year, so uh, this is really the time for the Red Sox to make a decision um, to get their maximum value for him. So. I wouldn't even begin to speculate, but I mean, what team wouldn't want Mookie Betts? So, um, <laughs> I mean, you, you better have a good farm system. I feel like, yeah, I mean, uh, it's an interesting way for Heim Bloom to, to come into his new job uh, as chief baseball officer with the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. I like that title um, with Dave Dombrowski out. So, new leadership there, um, and potentially, I mean, I, I don't. I, you probably teams are giving up probably their best two or three prospects to to get bets. Uh, maybe a major league ready guy as well. Uh, Starling Marte, I think another guy to to really watch as far as position players. Uh, the Pirates are complete mess right now, and Marte's probably their best chance to get some nice chips back. Uh, two years of team control left for Marte. Eleven point five million in twenty twenty, twelve point five million in twenty twenty one. Those are options. The Pirates already exercised the option for twenty twenty. So, um, you know, had a great year this past year. Uh, twenty three homers, twenty five stolen bases. You know, decent defense in center field. Um, you know, they could get a lot of. Uh, they could get a nice haul of prospects back if they decide to dangle him. I think they yeah, should. The, uh, yeah, there was a, re- a report in I think mid to late October. Before they fired Neil Huntington, their former GM, and for some reason they strung him along throughout the entire month, and the report was that they were going to probably have Marte in their outfield on opening day 2020. And and just thinking back now, like I wonder if that report, like maybe it came from Huntington, and that's why they let him go. Like, (laughs) no man, we need an entire rebuild here. They do. Yeah. Francisco Lindor. There's been some speculation. I don't know. I mean, he's under team control for two more years. It's highly unlikely the Indians will be able to sign him to whatever he's going to command uh, as far as a long-term contract, rightfully so. Obviously, Lindor's one of the best players in the game. Um, so the Indians, another team who has to ask themselves some tough questions. And, you know, you could get such a haul for, for Lindor. I know the Dodgers have been speculated as a fit. I don't even know where to start with that. But If the Indians just spent some money this winter... I mean, they had a fine season. Yeah, they, um, they missed the playoffs because they were in a bad situation in the American League. But they, they would have, you know, been the top NL wild card team, and well, I think they would have won the NL Central too if they were in the NL. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, and that was with not having Corey Kluber for a large portion of the year, yeah, and Carlos say, Carrasco yeah. and yeah. Mike Clevenger. Um, you've, you've got some good young players there. They need some some bats in the outfield. Um, I think they should be adding, and it wouldn't really take that much adding to, to make them a, a really good contender. I mean, they, they've got to feel like they can com- contend with the Twins. Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly, you know, seeing him as a possibility to be traded. I'm just, like, sad for Indians fans because yeah, totally. last offseason was sort of a similar approach where we heard for – months that they were considering trading one of their top starting pitchers and I'm like no like you can you can win this it just never really made much sense and uh then to completely neglect the outfield as well last offseason so I don't know the Indians are a, a strange team to read right now um seen some rumblings Chris Bryant I don't know how much I believe that as something that that could actually happen I think what's interesting about Bryant, there was a report last week that there was a, a grievance hearing held. Uh, if you remember when he was called up in 2015, it was sort of an obvious service time delay situation. He was called up just one day after he would have accrued a full year of MLB service. And if he did get that year, he would have been a free agent after 2020. So at this point, we're talking under team control through 2021. So uh, two years left. Cubs already said goodbye to Joe Madden. Maybe they decide to shake up the roster too. Who knows? Um, I think it's probably unlikely, but um, heard some whispers about that. Yeah, there was a, another report Monday evening that that grievance is ongoing this week. Um, hmm. I kind of doubt he's going to win it because it would set a crazy precedent. And I think a lot of players would retroactively want, you know, <laughs> some, some more, some fewer years of team control. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, how can they legislate that without w- w- not through the CBA, you know, outside of the CBA? Right. Um, but I, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't really know. <laughs> uh, we know a lot of lawyer baseball writers, though. Uh, yeah, there are a lot. <laughs> uh, so some other position players I was thinking about, uh, the Rangers have a crowded outfield. Um, and I think something's going to have to get there. Uh, Shin Su Chu would be probably... You know, maybe easy to trade. I'd probably just, I think he'd fit best probably an American League team, but still an OBP machine. I think they could deal him to a contender and they'd be okay. Nomar Mazzara just hasn't worked out his hope so far. I think we by now we would have expected he'd be like a superstar. It just hasn't really happened. So I wonder if maybe a team will take a shot on him as, you know, a reclamation project or, you know, something where they can work on, I don't know, his swing, launch angle, stuff like that. I mean, um, he's 24 years old. He, he debuted at age 20. I I'm, I get frustrated by him, too, because I draft him in the later rounds of fantasy every year. And yeah. every every year he's 20 home runs and a 750 OPS. And it's like, right. like his numbers are so consistently below average, but yeah. just like slightly below average. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another guy with the Rangers, Rugnet Odor. Um, another frustrating guy. Um <laughs> uh, you know, he's on a long-term deal, which so I think trading him is a little tricky. Uh, he's owned nine million next year, twelve million in twenty twenty-one, uh, twelve million in twenty twenty-two, and has a club option for twenty twenty-three. So I think if the Rangers do trade Odor, you know they're going to need to uh, cover some of that remaining salary. <clears throat> uh, so I think finding a fit for him could be tricky, but I could easily see uh, the Rangers running out of patience with him. Uh, they have Nick Solak, who could f- 
slide right in there at second base. So it's at least something to keep an eye on there with the Rangers. Uh, Whit Merrifield with the Royals. It's a weird situation with him. Uh, if you remember, the Royals signed him to an extension um, in spring training this year. So he signed through 2022 with a club option for 2023. Think about that, though. He's going to be 31 years old in January. The Royals are not winning anytime soon. You know, Merrifield's still a productive player, can play second base outfield, so he could fit on any number of contenders. I think it makes sense to trade him. I don't know if the Royals have any intention of doing that, but I just don't see how he makes sense for the Royals. Yeah, I think they really overrate him um, as a player. Um, and, and I think he's a nice player, and you're right, he's versatile, and he's got a little bit of power, and I don't know, the speed kind of fell off this year, which is a bit of a concern for me. Went from 45 stolen bases to, to 20 steals when he was caught 10 times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the time to trade him has, has almost passed. passed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but, but they should do it anyway this winter and, and try to get something for him. Uh, two guys who I think could be... But I don't, but I don't think they will. No, I don't <laughs> I think they will either. <laughs> uh, two guys who I think would be interesting change of scenery candidates. Clint Frazier with the Yankees. You know, are they actually going to trade him? I have no idea, but a guy I think in, in the right situation could really thrive. That Yankees outfield will probably be crowded again next year. Uh, but Aaron Hicks has, you know, had Tommy John surgery. I don't know if he's had it yet, but he was expected to get it. He did, um, yeah. So he's probably going to be out at least the early part of next year. So there might be a chance for Frazier to break through in that outfield. Um, we'll see. But if the Yankees decide to... You know, trade him for a starting pitcher. I think Frazier's somebody to watch. Dominic Smith with the Mets. He was great uh, when he got opportunities this past season. But obviously he's blocked at first base uh, uh, by Pete Alonso there with the Mets. And he's not really a fit for the outfield. Someone was a highly talented prospect just a couple of years ago. I could see uh, the Mets maybe trading him for a bullpen arm and, and Smith really thriving elsewhere. So I'd, I'd keep an eye on those guys. Um, moving over to the starting pitcher side... Kind of a lot of names we talked about at the trade deadline. Robbie Ray, Matthew Boyd, and maybe this is sort of a long shot, but Lance Lynn, Mike Miner with the Rangers. I They confuse me, so I don't really know. But, you know, you brought up the valid point earlier about the new ballpark. So maybe they're not going to be, you know, so into dealing those guys. But all four of these pitchers we heard a lot about at the trade deadline. And I think we will this offseason, too. Yep. I agree. And then to wrap it up with some closers, I think Ken Giles will, will definitely be on the move. There's no reason for the Blue Jays to hang on to him. Um, Kirby Yates, I, I think the Padres want to contend. That might be more of a midseason guy. Um, but they have a lot of young arms coming through the system who they, they could break in through the bullpen. Um, and then, I don't know, Brad Hand with the Indians. If the Indians do trade Lindor, it's almost like they might as well trade Brad Hand too. Yeah. Um, I just want to say, if you want like to get an established closer this winter, you can't really do it through the free agent market. I mean, there's Will Smith there. That's it. Um, yeah. So I, I think we will see some some closer trades uh, throughout the offseason. So just to wrap things up, um, as far as teams to watch, the teams that you think could make really the biggest waves uh, this offseason, either in you know with free agency or trades, who's the one number one team you're looking out for? I think the Padres, um, I think they're on the cusp of contention. Um, if you get 150 plus games from Fernando Tatis Jr. Next year, you get a full 200 innings from Chris Paddock. Um, and, and I think, you know, 
a better year for Manny Machado. He was fine in the end, but he could be a lot better. Um, I think that's a team that could could really make a jump in the NL West and, and definitely be a wild card contender. Um, the Brewers, they need pitching. I, I don't know where they're going to get it from, but um, they need they need to take advantage of of Christian Yelich being under such a cheap contract and, and take advantage of his prime years. I, I'd say the Angels. I, I think I think getting Cole is just a must for them. I think it would really, really make them a winner if they could get Cole at the top of that rotation. Otani coming back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, Griffin Canning, a really exciting young starter. Uh, Andrew Heaney's still there as well. So that rotation can suddenly look pretty stout um, and finally surround Mike Trout with a, a really good team. I think the Angels are going to make a move this offseason. Joe Madden uh, taking over as manager there. I think the stars are kind of aligning for the Angels to make some big moves. I wanted to say when we were talking Edwin Encarnacion, I, I think the Rays are going to sneak in there and get a real bargain on him at like one year, $11 million, add a little more power to that lineup. Um, and then Wander Franco makes the jump from high A ball to the majors. Mm. And I like they it. Win, they win the AL East. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not doubting them. You know what I mean? I think at this point we just have to accept they're going to be, uh, they're going to be in the mix no matter what. So, um, yeah. and they they have a really good group of young players. So uh, they should remain in the mix for sure. If they could just supplement their roster with some nice pieces, as you mentioned, um, they're going to be pretty good. Um, so that will do it for our hot stove preview episode. Uh, thanks for hanging with us. We made it just past the hour mark. Um, we're going to be around a bit more this off season than previous off season. So that's good news. Uh, the upcoming holidays, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, new year's, we'll, we'll work things out. Then we may not be here on an every week basis, but we're still going to try to be around, uh, with an interesting group of Roto World contributors and even some guests. So a lot more about that coming soon. Uh, if you like what you heard with this show, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also rate and review on Apple podcasts. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. I'm at DJ Short, Drew's at Drew Silve, and we'll see you next time. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution.